Good evening. This is Patrick Donahue. Appreciate you listening every week at this same time to Bible Crossfire. We try to let the Bible be the the authority here. Colossians 3.17 says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, meaning by his authority. And simply put, that means don't do anything unless Jesus has told you to do it. You can't do something by the authority, say, of the president unless the president has told you to do that. You can't do something by the authority of your boss unless the boss has told you to do that. So we can't do something in the name of Jesus Christ by his authority unless Jesus Christ has told us to do that. And his law, it's called the law of Christ in 1 Corinthians 9, Galatians 6, 2. His law is where he instructs us what we need to do in this dispensation to please him, to please God. We don't study the Bible just for theoretical reasons. Our goal, our object is to please God in the Bible, in particular for us now, is what tells us how to please God. The Old Testament told the Israelites how to please God back then. The New Testament tells everybody, Jew and Gentile, how to please God today. It's our authority. We're not to do anything unless we can do it in the name of Jesus, unless we can do it by his authority. Unless he tells us to do it, don't do it in religion. And one of the things that we're talking about in the last two or three weeks is some instructions that we read from Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. A lot of people talk about the red letters, and some people think the the red letters, the things that Jesus said while he was on earth, is the only thing authoritative, and that's not true. For example, in 1 Corinthians 14, 37, Paul said, said, let it, if you're spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. Jesus said before, right before he left that he's going to send the Holy Spirit talking to the apostles to guide them into all the truth, John 16, 13. So everything in the Bible, as I said for us, everything in the New Testament is from God. It's not just what's in red letters. But we're looking at some instructions from Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the next one on my list is Matthew 12, 31 and 32. There's where Jesus said this. All manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. And whosoever speaketh the word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. This is what, This is talking about what people call the unpardonable sin, the unforgivable, unforgivable sin. And that's right. If you blaspheme the Holy Spirit in the sense this is talking about, you can't be forgiven, even if you repent. Uh, Not too long ago, of course, on this program, people call a lot about the divorce and remarriage topic. And I simply state what the Bible teaches, that you can't. You can't repent and be forgiven of adultery while you're remaining in an adulterous marriage. You know, you can't just say I'm sorry to God for committing adultery when you plan to hop in bed with a with a wife you have no right to and commit adultery again the next weekend. That won't work. If you're in a marriage that violates Matthew 19:9, you got to terminate that marriage to get right with God. Of course, Matthew 19.9 says, whoever puts away their wife, except it be for fornication and marries another, commits adultery. And whoever marries her, with, which is put away, doth commit adultery. So that comes up every now and then on the program. Well, somebody called in the Andrew Farley program and said, well, this guy on Sunday night is teaching that divorce and remarriage is the unpardonable sin. 
No, it's not the unpardonable sin. The only unpardonable sin is the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost. You can be forgiven for committing adultery. All you got to do is walk away from that sin. Quit committing adultery. So I've been married to Carol for 34 years. If if I divorce her for, let's say, incompatibility and marry Betty, Jesus calls that adultery. Can I be forgiven for that? Yeah, but you can't stay in the marriage. You got to walk away from it. You got to repent of it. You got to terminate the marriage with Betty, I would, and then seek reconciliation with Carol. So you can be forgiven. It's just like any other sin. You got to repent. You can't repent of, of being a thief if you're going to keep on thieving. You can't repent of rape unless you commit to quit raping people. You can't repent of murder unless you commit to quit murdering people. And you can't repent of adultery unless you commit to quit committing adultery. So in law, as long as I'm in, in that second marriage or third marriage that violates Matthew 19.9, Jesus says, I'm in adultery. So you can be forgiven. If you're in unscriptural marriage, just get out of the unscriptural marriage and seek reconciliation with the spouse that you're bound to, obligated to, Romans 7, 2, and 3. But this verse, Matthew 12, 31, and 32, does talk about an unforgivable sin. And the difference is any sin you can be forgiven of, but none of them will be you can you be forgiven of unless you repent. Jesus said in Luke 13, 3, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. So what's the difference in this sin if it's unforgivable? unpardonable, and all the other sins. Well, this one you can't be forgiven of even if you repent. If you blaspheme against the Holy Spirit, and the context shows us here in Matthew 12 what it's talking about, these Jews, they recognized that what Jesus was doing was miraculous. They 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 could see his miracles weren't fake. I mean, people were being healed. There was no, no way to deny it. But they said, oh, but you're not getting your power from the Holy Ghost. You're getting it from Beelzebub, the devil. When you do that, you blaspheme the Holy Spirit. You're attributing something done, this miraculous, done by the power of the Holy Spirit to the power of the devil. We can do that today. If we were to look at a miracle in the Bible, something that happened in the New Testament, say it was done by Jesus, say when he lay, raised Lazarus from the dead, or he healed the blind man in John chapter 9. We look at that miracle and say, in our mind, I believe that miracle really exists, but I believe instead of being done by the power of the Holy Spirit, it was done by the power of the devil. If we really believe that the miracle occurred and we really believe and we teach or say that it was done by the power of the devil, we've committed the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And this says you can't be forgiven. No way you can be forgiven. Wouldn't matter how many times you repented of it. I mean, and you can repent of it just like any other sin, but you won't be forgiven. But there's no other sin that's unforgivable, un unpardonable even divorce and remarriage, even murder, even homosexuality can be forgiven. Two gay men that are married, they want to repent and get forgiveness. Can they just stay in the gay marriage? No. Everybody can see they got to part company. They got to walk away from that sin. They have to terminate that gay marriage in order to be forgiven for that sin. Well, why wouldn't it be true? Why wouldn't the same thing be true about an adulterous marriage? If you have a Bible question or comment, the number to call is 877 655 if you have a Bible question or comment. Next instruction from Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John on my list is Matthew 20, <clears throat> 26 through 28. It says, but it shall not be so among you, but whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister, or some translations will say servant. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. 
even as a son of man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. When we say minister here, we're not talking about, as some people think, uh, a preacher, somebody who preaches in the pulpit regularly. Sometimes they're called ministers. That's not what we're talking about. I don't know the Bible ever calls that a preacher in that sense, a minister. A minister here is just simply a servant. We serve Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't come to be served. He came to serve. And if we want to be pleasing to God, we're going to be a minister or a servant. So we're going to try to teach the gospel to others. We're going to try to help people physically that are less fortunate than we are. We're going to be servants to others and servants to God. Servants to God meaning we're going to try to study our Bibles and obey what God tells us to do in the Bible so that we can be pleasing to him. I mean, Hebrews 5, 9 says Jesus is the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Author in the sense of source. Jesus is the source of his salvation, his death, his shed blood. But who's going to receive it? Those who serve him. It says he's the author of eternal salvation to all them that obey him, which means you have to obey Jesus to be saved. You have to be a servant. It's not enough just to believe in the King Jesus. You have to serve the King Jesus. You have to obey him. You have to serve him. You have to serve God. You have to serve your fellow man. That's what Matthew 20, verse 26 through 28 is all about. And that's what Jesus wants us to do. The fact that we have to obey Jesus to be saved doesn't make us the source of eternal our eternal salvation, Hebrews 5, 9. Jesus is the source, but we have to obey. That's a condition, just like belief, that we have to meet in order to be saved by the death of Christ. Phyllis from Washington, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Hello? Hey, Phyllis, go ahead. This is Pat. Yes. Okay. Uh, well, my question is, uh, I had a dentist for like 20 years, and he left, and now I have another dentist that I just got this week, and I looked up on the web on the, their website, and it comes to be that she has um, a female partner. I, I guess they're married. But, of course, I'm a Christian. I don't believe in that. So I'm needing surgery, dental surgery, and I do plan to talk to her about it. But... Um, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna use her, even though she has a. There's a dental partner there, that uh, uh, he's a family man, I guess. But he's being complicit because he kind of owns it and she works for him or something. But anyway, this has to do with homosexuality, and I, I don't want to put my money toward that. Period. And I will be talking to her, you know. And so my question is, isn't that something that I'd come up against something like this, you know? Yeah, it's just it's just a terrible situation. Phyllis, I'm glad that you're planning to talk to her about it. Here's what Paul said in Acts 20, in verse 26 and 27. He says, Wherefore I take you to record this day that I'm pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. So he was pure from the blood of all men because he did, he would tell them what they needed to hear, Phyllis. 31 says, Therefore, watch and remember that by the space of three years, I ceased not to warn everyone night and day with tears. And that's what it sounds like you're planning on doing, Phyllis. I'm glad that you plan to warn her. As a matter of fact, Ezekiel 3.18, now this is in the Old Testament, but it's saying the same thing as what we just read in Acts 20. It says, when I say unto the wicked, thou shalt surely die, and thou givest him not warning, nor speakest to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life. 
The same man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require out of hand. That's what Acts 20 was saying, and that's in the Old Testament, Acts 20 in the New. So, Phyllis, I got to appreciate your courage for being willing to tell this lady that here's a lesbian, that, that basically she's going to have to repent of that and quit being a lesbian if she wants to be saved eternally, right? Well, yes, I, I'll just tell you, I, this just threw me for a loop. I just didn't expect it. I thought, well, I got a new dentist. I'll go look it up, and then that's what happened. And so I am going to have to talk to her, but I don't know how it's going to – I'll have to pray, Lord, to help me because it's – you know, we're all sinners. We're all sinners, and there's all kinds of perversion, but this has come come up suddenly. And um, so – and I also don't want her partner – uh, in the dental part- partnership there, because he is being complacent because he kind of owns it and she's working there with him. The Thank you for your part- call, Phyllis. Thank you for Thank your you call. So Appreciate Bye-bye. it. You know, I use this illustration a lot. We know that First Corinthians fourteen thirty four and thirty five, without any ambiguity, teaches that women are not to be preaching in the church. What we say, preaching in the pulpit. It says, "Let your women keep silence in the churches." For it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for women to speak in the church. It says three times there, women shouldn't be speaking, preaching, we might say, in the church. They're to keep silence in the church. It's not permitted unto them to speak. It says at the end of 35, it's a shame for women to speak in the church. Yet I'm told three quarters, 75% of churches, congregations across America and Canada allow women to preach from the pulpit. Now, it's going to be impossible for me, Patrick Donahue, to commit the sin of being a woman preacher because I'm a man. But guess what? I can be complicit in their sin. What if I worship with the church as a regular member? This is where I go to help them in what they're doing, and they allow women to preach from the pulpit, and I don't, and I just go along with it. So even though I'm not committing the sin myself, I become a partaker in their evil deeds because I go along with it. I go along with it. I bid them Godspeed in the words of 2 John, verses 9 through 11. And that's what Phyllis is talking about. She doesn't want to be complicit in somebody else's sin. I appreciate her conscientiousness on that matter. I said, I mentioned bidding Godspeed. I get that from 2 John. Let me read 9 through 11. It says, whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him God's speed. For he that biddeth him God's speed is partaker of his evil deeds. So verse 9 is saying, Pat, you have to abide in the teaching of Christ or you don't have God. You're not going to be saved. Of course, we have a lot of denominational believers out there that say, no, you're going to be saved anyway, even if you don't abide in the teaching of Christ. That's not important. But this says you do have to abide in the teaching of Christ to have God to be saved. But verse 10 and 11 saying, even if I'm abiding in the teaching of Christ, what if somebody else is not abiding in the teaching of Christ? I'm not to bid them God's feet. Because if I do, I become a partaker in their evil deeds. I'm not to help them in that sin or encourage them in that in their sin. I think that's what Phyllis was talking about. So if I'm worshiping with a church that allows women preachers, even though I'm not committing the sin myself, if I go along with it, I'm bidding them God's speed. I become a partaker in their evil deeds. And that we could talk about a lot of other things besides women preachers. We could talk about sprinkling babies for baptism, or we've been talking about homosexuality, gay marriage. If I'm part of a church that allow, teaches and it goes along with those doctrines and I go along with that, and I become a partaker in their evil deeds. Appreciate that call from Phyllis. 
You know, the next passage on my list of instructions from Jesus is uh, Matthew twenty two thirty seven through 40. Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is likened to it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Jesus is giving a good summary of his law. You know, this this summary would be a good summary of, uh, of the Old Testament law too. Everything that the Jews were taught to do in the Old Testament could, I think, come under these two categories. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. That's number one. And number two, love your neighbor as yourself. And the New Testament law would also fall into these two categories. Every commandment, instruction in the New Testament either is how we serve the Lord, God, how we love him, or how we love our neighbor. See, every, everyone, it's a great summary of God's law, Old Testament or New Testament. Now, this doesn't mean, as some people take it, well, as long as I love God, then I can do anything I want to. As long as I love God and love my neighbor, I can do anything I want to. No, it means this. If you love God correctly in the way God wants you to, and you love your neighbor as yourself like you ought to, you'll do all the things that the New Testament tells you to do in regard to serving the Lord and how you treat your neighbor. That's what it means. That It's not that you can love them and not obey God. It's that if you love them, you will obey God. Because it's just a good summary of all the rest of the details. Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. So if you love God, you will keep his commandments. Not if you love him, you don't have to keep his commandments. That's the way most people understand it. I love God. I don't have to do what he says. He'll understand. I love him. No, if you love him, you'll keep his commandments. If you don't keep his commandments, that means you don't love him like you ought to. That's that's the basic idea. Jesus said in John 15, 14, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. People talk about you have to have a relationship with Jesus to be saved. Certainly, you got to be his friend. And the only way you're going to qualify as his friend is if you do what he commands. He said, you're my friends if you do what I command you. So if you're not doing what he commands, say you're in unscriptural marriage, a marriage that violates Matthew 19, 9. Or you're worshiping with a church that teaches once saved, always saved, or teaches you don't have to be baptized to be saved. Or sprinkles babies for baptism. You're not Jesus' friend because you're not doing what he commands. If you have a Bible question or comment, the lines are wide open. The number to call is 877-655-6755. 877-655-6755. Here's another instruction from Jesus. Matthew 23 verse 9 says, And call no man your father upon the earth. For one is your father, which is in heaven. Now, if you examine the context of this, what Jesus is condemning is calling somebody father in the, in the sense like the Catholics do when they call their priest father. It's a religious title that elevates one person above another. In other words, you're a Christian that's above me. I'm just kind of like a regular Christian, but you're a father. You're a first class Christian, I'm a second class Christian. No, Jesus says you should call it you call each other brother. We're all brother. We're all peers. You don't call somebody a religious title to elevate one person over another in Christianity because we're all brothers. We're all peers. 
I think what the Catholics do in calling their priest father is a perfect example of what Jesus is telling people not to do here. He says, call, call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father which is in heaven. God the Father is the one over us, not some priest. If it's another Christian, we're his brother. We're a peer. They're not above us in any kind of hierarchy like that. And then Jesus said in Luke 22, 19 and 20, it's, well, I, didn't, I should have, shouldn't have said Jesus said it. This is describing what Jesus did. It says he took bread and gave thanks and break it and gave it unto them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you this do in remembrance of me. Likewise, also the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. So here we have Jesus instituting the Lord's Supper, the bread, the fruit of the vine. Does your church, the church where you attend, do do they do the Lord's Supper? Do they remember the Lord's death till he comes, 1 Corinthians 11, by partaking of, say, a little piece of bread, which reminds them, reminds us of the broken body of Christ, or and drink some of the juice, which is supposed to remind us of the blood of Christ. So we remember his death. We're thankful for his death. That's an instruction of Jesus in Luke 22. How about John 13, 34 and 35? Jesus said, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. Now, why does Jesus call this a new commandment? Well, he doesn't tell us for sure, but here's what it looks like to me. He's saying, remember, we were reading Matthew 22 a while ago, and this, this is in the Old Testament too. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus is saying, I give you a new commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. I think that what he's saying by new commandment, he means that this is something new in the sense this is even greater than it used to be. You used to be you love your neighbor as yourself. You're to love people like you love yourself. Now I'm saying you got to love them more than that. You got to love them as I have loved you. Sacrificial love. Be willing to give up your life for. So you, it, you love your neighbor as yourself. And then, but above that, you love your neighbor as Jesus has loved us, which is even greater than loving your neighbor as yourself. And that, I think, is why it's a new commandment. It, it doesn't really matter so much why it's a new commandment. What matters is, are we loving others as Jesus has loved us? we got to be willing to make sacrifices for others. How about what Jesus said in Matthew 28? 19 and 20. We call this the Great Commission. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. And I hear a lot of gospel preachers say, well, this was only for the apostles. No. He tells the apostles to go teach, baptize, but then he says, I want you to teach them, the ones you baptized, to observe all things whatsoever have commanded you, which would include what he just told them, to go and teach. So every Christian is responsible to try to get out and teach the gospel as he has opportunity, and he should try to make opportunities, and to the best of his ability. You know, another account of the Great Commission in Mark 16, uh, 15 and 16, Jesus said this, Go ye into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. That's what we just read about in Matthew 28. Then he says, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be condemned. 
You see, you're supposed to go out and preach the gospel. You're supposed to baptize them, according to Matthew 28. Mark says, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. It's more than just belief. A lot of preachers will say, all you got to do is accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, and you'll be saved. All you got to do is believe. No, Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. It takes both trust and obedience to be saved, just like that famous hymn says. You have to believe and be baptized to be saved. Something to think about there, considering a lot of churches teach you don't have to be baptized to be saved. When they say that, they directly contradict a plain statement of Jesus in Mark 16, 16. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. It takes both. Appreciate you listening tonight. I'm about to have to go off the air. If you would like to take advantage of my offer, a free one-hour phone Bible study, I'll call you sometime when it's convenient for you. We'll study the Bible for an hour. I want you to call or text me so that we can work out the best time for you. My cell phone is 256-682-9753. Call or text me if you want a free one-hour phone Bible study at your convenience, 256-682-9753.